the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart White here, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Considering the 31.5 point spread, the 49-10 loss to number 8 Oregon was all too predictable. The Ducks showcased their Heisman Trophy quarterback candidate, Bo Nix, and generally had their way with the Buffs. I am joined for this podcast by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we will start with a recap of the Oregon game, including a discussion of the trick plays the Ducks used to score, and the quotes from CU defector Christian Gonzalez after the game. Next, before diving into our tips for the game against the new number eight team in the nation, USC, we will discuss the interview given by CU President Todd Salomon, and whether there is enough going on behind the scenes to improve CU's chances at improving its transfer rules, and to hire the right coach to give the Buffs a chance at a quick turnaround in 2023. There is also a discussion of how the interim coaching staff under Mike Sanford has, despite all of CU's shortcomings, managed to bring in three new commitments to the CU recruiting class of 2023. What's even more impressive is that these new recruits are some of the highest rated in CU's current 19-member class. So, can CU, which has never beaten USC in 15 previous attempts, make a game of it on Friday night on national television? Can the Buff offense, without star wide receiver Jordan Tyson, exploit the nation's 95th ranked defense? Will the Trojans, who have big games against UCLA and Notre Dame to close out the season, be looking past Colorado? At least enough for the Buffs to cover the 34-point spread. Let's find out. Okay, and we're back. And I'm joined by Brad, soon to be in Bozeman, Geiger. How are things in Highlands Ranch? Ah, things are nice here. A little windy, but uh, otherwise good. Looking forward to the big trip up to Bozeman. Very good. And Downtown Neil Langland, how are things for you? I'm thinking of things about 55 miles to the west, where they've had uh, about 15 inches of snow over the last four days. I'm going to see if I can sample some in the next day or two. Okay, well, Big Sky opens at uh, Thanksgiving, and they've got about 12 inches today, and they're going to get about 12 to 18 inches over the next 24 to 36 hours. So. if you want some real powder, Big Sky and Bridger Bowl are where you really want to be. But I won't 
anger too many Colorado skiers by talking about Montana skiing because we've got other things to talk about, namely starting with our review of last weekend's game, Oregon 49, Colorado 10, the eighth ranked team in the country going for 479 yards and Colorado going for 367 yards, a season high in terms of yards, but somehow if you turn the ball over three times, turn over on downs three times and miss a field goal, you end up with 10 points. So Neil, some uh, overview reactions, uh, thoughts about the Oregon game. It was a 31 point spread and ended up being 39 points. So not too much to be, uh, I guess, disappointed about because it turned out pretty much the way it was supposed to. You know, if I had taken my own advice about betting over the last four or five games, I would have done okay by taking, by laying points and usually taking the over. CU's offense, I turned off the TV after the third quarter. I just couldn't take anymore. I watched it the next day only to find that they had not scored in the fourth quarter. And having watched that inept fourth quarter that CU put together, they took a big step backward then. Up to that point, they had showed signs of life on offense. We still don't have a high completion rate with our quarterback, but it's getting a little better. Our running game at times showed that we can actually uh, make a hole now and then. I'm not sure why we were throwing at Christian Gonzalez. Um, clearly <laughs> one of the better corners in the, uh, in the conference. And he showed us why we should not do that. But um, on defense, um, again, we got gashed on so many plays, uh, so many long gainers. I'm not sure what to make of Oregon scoring on trick plays their first three uh, touchdowns, but occasionally CU played well on defense. I, I, I don't know what else to say because I'll be repeating myself from previous weeks and I won't have anything else to say after SC, Washington, and Utah, but baby steps on all, on, on all uh, portions of the game for CU. Okay. Well, Brad, you know, it was kind of the Bo Nix Heisman campaign. Went 20 for 24 for 274 yards, two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, and caught a pass for a touchdown. I guess when you're going up against Tennessee and Georgia on CBS, you got to do something to get some attention for the the Oregon quarterback. Was uh, Oregon just um, – mocking the University of Colorado defense? Was this somehow premeditated to get Bo Nix some headlines? Or is this just Oregon playing with its food? Uh, it was Oregon. You know, Oregon could do what they wanted. Um, I thought, you know, Nix was every belt with, of what we thought he was going to be. You know, I we're so bad, it's hard to get mad at somebody for running it up against us. Um, and it wasn't the trick plays that ran it up against us. They just lined up and beat us, and then they played a couple additional plays. I don't know who they're showing them for to make them think, but 
you know, the frustrating part is we did things like hold them under 50% on third downs and sometimes made some plays. Uh, still can't get pressure on anybody. We're just waving at quarterbacks. But, the you know, we should think about the fact the secondary played okay. Um, the defensive line at times played okay. You know, we were able to force them to punt occasionally. But it's not enough. They're just, when the time comes, they run it up. And then the offense just happily gives the ball back. Shroud confuses the living heck out of me. He is truly one of those guys who will throw a pass that you don't know how the heck he did it. And then the next one will be, how in the world did you think you were going to do that? The interceptions were not, I mean, Gonzalez is a good player and he was in the right spot. But one of them dang near knocked him out by hitting him in the head. Um <laughs> It's so it's just it's frustrating, and of course, it's more frustrating to see it from Gonzalez, who obviously for him made the right choice to go Oregon, but it's painful to watch. So, you know, and now you know, Oregon still has some hopes of making the bold championship. They needed to do what they needed to do, and they did it. Nobody cares about how they did it, they beat us 44 to 10. That's all anybody saw. Well, it was 49 to 10, but. You know, was, yeah, <laughs> as you noted, nobody cared. Nobody uh, cared. It could have yeah. just as easily been 44 to 10 or 49 to 14 and yeah. wouldn't have made a bit of difference. So, yeah. Neil, I, I'm going to give you a quote from Christian Gonzalez. who's asked about coming back to Boulder. Yeah, that was great. Real fun coming back, seeing everybody I know, just playing in an environment I was at for two years. It was really fun and I had a lot of fun. Well, are, are we happy for Christian Gonzalez that he had a lot of fun? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess the only gripe I really have is that the ESPN highlight for the game, they show one of the interceptions, and the label for it underneath says, Christian Gonzalez gets revenge versus former team. Well, What did I mean, we do that earned revenge? Yeah, I mean, we didn't. it's not like we put him on waivers or, no. you know, we traded him for draft picks. Um, he left us, you know, if anybody yeah. should have gotten revenge, it should have been see you getting revenge against, <laughs> you know, Christian Gonzalez, which they did for one play with the Jordan Tyson touchdown. But yeah, it seemed kind of uh, mislabeled. Neil, did you have any reaction to Christian Gonzalez or are you just happy for the young man that uh, he uh, got his education at the University of Colorado, learned how to play the game and then got to uh, Paid to uh, play for a school that's uh, eight and one. Well, it's just a sad commentary on CU football. And Christian Gonzalez's quotes about it being fun. Not sure whether to take that as rubbing it in or that he was just enjoying being back in Boulder and just happened to have a, a stellar game. The fact that the whole thing that he was gone, that tells us what CU football has become and what it will continue to be uh, until we get our act together. And uh, I wish him the best. He was a great player to watch when he was here. And in many ways, I don't blame him for moving on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm just wondering if when he gets drafted, if, uh, well, Dave Platt is going into emeritus status. Whoever takes over for Dave will still claim him as a, first round draft pick for the University of Colorado in their <laughs> stats. 
you know, like we used to claim Walter Stanley, even though he went to the Detroit Lions via what's the, what's the school in Grand Junction? Uh, is that at, at that time it was Mesa State College? Yeah, that uh, we still claim Walter Stanley, even though he didn't uh, matriculate from uh, the University of Colorado. Any postmortems on this? Uh, Jordan Tyson gets hurt, loss for the season. Yeah. Again, that's just piling on. And Daniel Arias is now the leading receiver that's still on the roster, but he's been playing special teams. Right. So now we're down to the third leading receivers, Montana Lamonius Craig, who has had some highlights this year, but uh, it just seems when it rains, it pours. Anything else on the Oregon game do you guys want to talk about that uh, before we move on to our tips for the USC game coming up this weekend? You know, it was, again, you can, there are times, there are moments you look at this CU team and think, yeah, that, that's why we thought we had hope. And then the next play, it's, that's why we don't have it anymore. You know, Jordan Tyson can make plays. Um, sometimes Terrace Lands can make plays. It just, it's never enough. It's, it's so frustrating to just watch just get out talented two plays out of three. Neil, we talked a little bit before we got on about an interview that took place uh, with the president, the CU president, Todd Solomon, with Mark Johnson from KOA Radio. You had some thoughts on what he had to say and what he, what he didn't have to say. You want to share that with the Buff Nation? This was on the pregame show, uh, the first hour uh, that went on from uh, 11.30 to 12.30. Uh, they do it from Franklin Field. And I came in shortly after it started, but it was clear that Johnson was talking to the president and was asking him about how the football program was going to progress. And our president was able to say the same soft platitudes about we're gonna do whatever it takes, we're gonna find the right guy, everything will be just fine, just trust us. And I was disappointed that the interviewer, um, the play-by-play guy, Mr. Johnson, didn't push him on what Buff fans are really concerned about, which is, in my mind at least, what I believe those issues to be, PTD, general studies, uh, other things to bring CU's admission of varsity athletes on a par with other schools in the conference that are CU's academic peers or academic superiors. So that's what I want to know. And I was hopeful that would come out of the interview, but it did not. It was just more uh, sidestepping of the question. So I think at some point, someone is going to have to put the president and the chancellor, whoever's going to be around making these decisions, the regents, the curriculum committees, whatever, which is what are you guys prepared to do to reform the football program, to put it on equal footing with its peers and rivals? And until then, we're just treading water. Well, and maybe not treading water so well. (laughs) <laughs> in other words, drowning and PTD, of course, being progress towards degree. 
well, Brad, he is the president of the entire university, so he has uh, different constituencies other than the donor base for the football program. Is there anything more he could have said at this point? Are we going to give I mean, from all reports, he does sound like he is a media sports background. He played sports at the University of Colorado. He was at the game. He's showing interest in the, you know, the game more than, you know, some of our other leadership in the University of Colorado. Giving a pass because even if he was asked the direct question, he probably wouldn't have given a direct answer anyway. Well, uh, first of all, from what I can tell, I've been introduced to him a couple of times at CU football games. He is a, a rather common attendee at, uh, at football. He uh, he understands, I think he understands that the sport is somewhat important to the, to the university. The fact that he's not able to answer direct questions doesn't mean they shouldn't be asked. The asking of the question, even if it's evaded, indicates that the fans are angry. Um, now, I don't know how he can avoid that. I'm sure that the donors are mentioning that to him on a regular basis. But asking specific questions about how come you're not fixing these things, I think is a good way to put pressure on him. So I wish particularly the KOA, the voice of the buffs, would do so. But maybe that's too much to ask. So, no, do I expect revelations on the pregame broadcast? No. I would like to have somebody at least tell them this is what we're thinking about. Okay. Well, let's hope that uh, good things are coming in the, in the near future for the University of Colorado because the near, near future is not looking so bright. Um, with, the, at this point, three ranked teams left on the schedule. Washington's playing Oregon, so they might not be ranked when CU goes to Seattle after playing USC, but at least as we speak, it's four ranked teams in four games in November. Uh, but before we get to the Coliseum catastrophe in the making, you know, trying to put some alliteration into our, our lives here, there was some good news for the University of Colorado, and at this point, we'll take any good news we can get, that somehow, some way, Mike Sanford and the coaching staff has procured three commitments in the last eight days as we speak for the C recruiting class of 2023. There's only been two defections from the class, and yet they've actually got, they've increased the size of the class. And um, these are not two-star recruits that are just hoping to get one power five offer. One of the recruits is actually the highest rated recruit in the class right now. It has 19 members. What does it say to you guys? I'll start with you, Neil, about Mike Sanford and this coaching staff. Mike Sanford gives really good press conferences, but it seems like they're not only auditioning for their next job, but they are actually doing an excellent job of selling the University of Colorado to recruits that will not know who their coach is going to be. Well, I'm actually astonished that we've gotten recruits and recruits of that quality. I think that speaks volumes as to the character of the coaching staff, as well as their ability to appeal to recruits. I think CU right now would be a very tough sell for any kid that's serious about having a good career at a power five school, uh, especially with the uncertainty about how you CU's administration is going to approach it, but who's the next coaching staff will be. 
So for a kid to put his faith in this staff and in the university, it's remarkable. They deserve praise for that. Uh, I don't think we could be more pleased with how they're doing with recruiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Brad, the, the old saying is that you recruit, you want the recruit to commit to the school, not to the coach. But that is rarely actually the case. But in this instance, and of course, signing day will come after the presumed naming of the CU head coach um, sometime between the end of the season and signing day. So what what does it say about these young men that they're actually committing to a university sight unseen? Now, of course, they can decommit, but still, if they were not planning on actually being a, a buff, why bother to commit? Why not just wait until after the coach is named and then make your decision? I, I find it fascinating. Obviously, every decision is individual. Um, we all know there are charms in Boulder that are unrelated to the coach and the program, and that may be part of it. Uh, these may be good. There's something about Boulder that can attract a lot of people. I give it to Stanford. He's trying. I don't know if he's auditioning for this job or the OC job or whatever he's trying to do, but he is not ignoring them. You know, I think the money we we have put money into facilities. I think that plays some role. And I think maybe these are kids who are convinced that if they come here, they can play first. Whereas if they go to USC or somewhere else, they're going to sit for a while. And the advantage to coming to a downtrodden program is if you are confident that you perhaps have been under-recruited, that you deserve to start, this isn't a bad program to come to and try to prove yourself. Yeah, and in the, the world of nil and the no frills, no hassle, no problem transfer policy, if you make a name for yourself like Christian Gonzalez or Brandon Rice or Dimitri Stanley or Makai Blackman or Mark Perry or maybe Jordan Tyson, um, then you can always go somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. So speaking of USC and players transferring there and having the opportunity to sit on the bench or to play right away at the University of Colorado, the Buffs will be taking on USC on a Friday night before a national television audience as a, well, at least opened as a 34-point underdog Colorado, even in good times, has never been able to beat USC. The Buffs are 0-15 lifetime against the Trojans. Now, there have been a few close games, 14-0 in 1962, 17-14 in 2000, 27-24 in 2015, 21-17 in 2016, and 35-31 in 2019. Now, of course, there are also blowouts in that history. 40 to 3 in 2002, 42 17 in 2011, 50 to 6 in 2012, and 56 28 in 2014. Probably leaning a little more towards the blowout side on this one with a 34 point spread. Let's talk about our tips being talent, intangibles preparation and stats. Neil, you want to talk a little bit about the, the USC talent? It seems to be their cup of runneth overeth. 
Well, I think a lot of the USC talent has come through the transfer portal after the new coaching staff arrived. They've done a nice job of importing offensive players, especially skill position players. And they are fast. They are very athletic. Brendan Rice, who excelled here at Colorado, has been a minor feature there. So I think when we lose one of our best players who only gets token reps at USC, that says a lot about the talent gap. Makai Blackman has been a starter and has done reasonably well. But the offensive talent that they have in the system that they run, I think, can be overwhelming to an undermanned defense such as we have. USC's defense probably is a little weaker in the line and probably in the front seven and are vulnerable in some ways. So I think that CU may be able to have a better matchup. Overall, I think the talent gap is huge and we can just expect to see more of what we saw against Oregon, against uh, the second half against TCU, where they just have too much speed, too much size and can beat us um, any number of ways. Yeah. Well, Brad, it was impressed with the offense uh, from the Cal game last week, uh, which, you know, USC had to hang on to win. But Jordan Addison and Mario Williams were the two big-name wide receivers that transferred in for Caleb Williams, the quarterback. Neither one of them played against Cal. He still threw for 360 yards and four touchdowns, and the Trojans still scored 42 points. Their subs, Michael Jackson the third, no relation, had 115 yards receiving and two scores, and uh, Taj Washington had 112 yards and another score. So, you know, the subs come in, and they, they both get over 100 mm-hmm. yards receiving. And, of course, we haven't even talked about the fact that they – have Travis Dye, the former Oregon star running back, who has almost a thousand yards rushing. And oh yeah, <laughs> in case the CU defensive line thinks they actually might chase down Caleb Williams, uh, he has 287 yards rushing on the season and four more scores. Uh, for comparisons purposes, Deion Smith has 381 yards and two touchdowns to lead the buffs. So Caleb Williams is right up there with CU's leading rusher with his rushing stats so just waves of talent coming at the buffs and the defense is just going to be can we keep them to drives of less than or more than 90 seconds can we make them make them i mean that was one thing that CU did do against oregon they did force long drives they that that was the theory for the game was keep it in front of you Make them earn it and hope they make a, make a mistake. Unfortunately, they made them earn it and they didn't make any mistakes and scored anyway. So they didn't score quickly, but they scored a lot. They still managed to score 49 points, even though they had to earn it along the way, except for the two picks that led to easy scores. So anything that uh, stood out to you on the talent end as far as how dominating this might get for the USC Trojans? Well, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach because they also out-talent us on the sideline. The creativity of this offense, the ability to put its players in the right positions, it's not just that they have bigger, faster, stronger players. 
although that helps. We've run into some really well-coached offensive teams this year. Sonny Dykes, who everybody questioned at TCU, turns out he can coach a little bit. And that's what we're facing this week as well. They flat out, they just understand what their talent is. That coaching staff's getting better. They're getting better at understanding what they've got. Every week, it kind of feels like our defensive coaching staff is hanging on by a thread with some, I mean, there's nothing complex about our defensive schemes. And if it ever got close, does anybody think that USC is going to make, have any trouble making the adjustments necessary <laughs> to play better against us? If, if they went in and we had kept it close in the first quarter, we will then see seven formations that we never knew existed. And that's, you know, part of the frustration with CU is because our talent is not what it is, we have to play a very basic style. Lincoln Riley and USC doesn't have to do that. They can, like Oregon can. Oregon can run a halfback pass. God save us if we tried that. Um, <laughs> you know, USC can beat us lining straight up, but they can also do things like run Caleb Williams for 287 yards. There's just talent and good coaching gives you a variety that our defense can't match up with. Okay. Now, they haven't recruited as well on the defensive end. They're not quite as dominant, particularly up front. I agree with Neil that there's a chance there for some progress, but there's no reason to believe that that's going to matter a lot. Yeah. I mean, if might get the same 367 yards and might get more points if they don't turn the ball over as many times. But, yeah, ultimately it's not going to make a whole lot of difference. Neil, I searched long and hard trying to find some intangibles that uh, would work on the side of the buffs. And I mean, I, I mean, again, hats off to Mike Sanford and, and the coaching staff for keeping the team together, that they are fighting, that they do keep playing. It really doesn't seem like they're, they're quitting in the fourth quarter. They're, they're still playing and they're still playing for each other. And I give lots of credit. I mean, if you can give credit to a staff that got beat 49 to 10, you have to give it to, you know, Mike Sanford and crew, but three more games against ranked teams, a 34-point underdog on the road against the program you've never beaten, a team that has college football playoff aspirations. What's your pregame speech? What do, what possible intangible could you find that would possibly help the, the Buffs going into this game? Oh, I was afraid you were going to ask that question. Um, <laughs> I don't have an answer, so it's okay to say no. You know, it's, well, it is what it is. Let me see if I can bootstrap into something, which is, as you mentioned, we have never beaten these guys. We've come close so many times, even when CU was outmanned. We played them hard. That's one thing. It's time for CU to beat USC just as in the late 90s and early two, late 90s when CU missed by a point here and a point there beating Nebraska, maybe something like that could happen here because I think, frankly, SC is going to be looking a week ahead. So that's the second point is they may not be taking the buffs that seriously. Third thing is CU was, had two of its better offensive players hurt last week one out for the season. There may be this thing now we're going to band together and try to play for the guys that can't be here. And we're just going to make for a more concerted effort. 
How's that? That's the best I can do. That's as good as you're going to get. Well, Brian, I'll let you kind of mix and match between the intangibles and the preparation that Neil kind of touched on the, the schedule. Basically, USC has a scrimmage this weekend. Then they play at UCLA with a chance to get into the uh, Pac-12 championship game. Assuming Oregon beats Utah, then it will be Oregon against USC or It'll be Oregon against whoever wins the UCLA-USC game. And then they finish off with the game uh, against Notre Dame, which was kind of a laughing stock a few weeks ago, but just knocked off number four Clemson in pretty convincing fashion. So they have two very big games to finish the season if they could just get past this, uh, this scrimmage on Friday. So any chance that uh, the Bobs can catch them at least for a quarter, a half, um, not paying attention to this game? Well, I mean, in, in another world, this is a classic trap game. They didn't look, I mean, let's face it, they have given up 43, 37, and 35 points the last three weeks. This is not a dominant, this is a team that has to outscore you. And if you're a team that has to outscore, there's always a chance you're going to make just enough mistakes that it's going to be hard except it's CU in 2022. Um, <laughs> we're not good enough to kind of make that kind of run. So, yeah, would I be shocked if we were only down by 14 at halftime? No. That will have little effect on the final result. But, you know, I mean, it's a trap game. They're going to be looking ahead, They're going to, but they're going to be trying to fix some stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if the defense didn't come out a little bit hair on fire. Um, but we shall see. It's, it's, you know, will it be entertaining for a half? It would be nice to think so. Yeah. Well, Neil, you, you're, you know, looking at some stats and things like that, that you're, you know, was Brad alluded to, you know, if you can score 40 points, you can hang with USC. Colorado has not demonstrated the ability to score 40 points. Um, only one game over 20 points all season. And that was in overtime. So any stats other than being, I don't know, plus seven on turnovers for the game that uh, would help uh, Buff fans some to look forward to that might give them some reason for hope? Well, just as uh, JT Shroud has a wide variance in his performance and is unpredictable, CU's offense last week was the same way. They played, I think, better than 10 points on the scoreboard. They did some good things on the ground and through the air. They had some creative play series. They had some nice individual achievements. So on the other hand, as you mentioned at the top of the show, Stuart, I think the coaching staff that goes for it on fourth and two in the beginning of the first quarter and doesn't make it. I think that's always a tactical mistake. I think you always have to try to get points early in the game and give your team some positive reinforcement. So the coaches have to get wise and to take what's available rather than trying to reach for something they can't do. But I think if CU can eliminate some of the mistakes, both mental from the sideline and in execution on the field, they have a chance to keep it close for a half because, as you say, Brad and Stewart's um, USC's defense 
especially lately, has not been that stingy. So yeah, I could see this game going for a half if CU can eliminate its mistakes. And if they can economize on that and play as well or even slightly better because uh, they've been improving every week, then I think CU has a chance to keep it close for, well, maybe into the second quarter, maybe towards the half. Okay. Well, that's kind of what we're at at this point is not keeping it close for the game, but keeping it close for a period of time before everyone goes to sleep on the East Coast. And, yeah, I mean, the, they are 95th in the nation in total defense, which is not something you'd expect from a team that has aspirations to play for the national championship or even the Pac-12 championship. But I don't know, Brett, is there anything on the stat sheet that you would like to look at Sunday morning and say, wow, you know, that's what gave CU a chance? Hmm. I would love to say turnovers, but we don't force turnovers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have to, boy, I would love to see JT Shroud up over 50% completion percentage. That would be a um, start. I'd like, to, I'd like to see a few fewer third down. It'd be nice to convert, not have to. Does it feel like every drive we've got to convert four for third downs just to get anywhere? Yeah. Um, I think if we saw that, if even if we could see the defense, you know, hold them to two thirds on third down conversion, force some third downs. Yeah, I would love to see all of that, but uh, I, I'm not expecting it. Yeah. I, I, I do want to point out, and this is just sometimes it works out that way. We have been we have played the second highest, score, uh, second best offense in the NCAA last week in Oregon. We played the fourth best offense in TCU. This week, we play the ninth best offense in Southern Cal. Next week, we play the 10th best in Washington. Oh, excuse me, and I forgot the fifth best in UCLA. <laughs> so, yes, our defense is bad, but by God, we're running into some buzzsaws this year. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Excellent point. Yeah. Well, won't count for uh, too many sympathy points in the offseason when people are predicting what's uh, – the future for the University of Colorado, unless that splash higher comes along. And I hope you guys bought your lottery tickets. So out of the 900 million or whatever you're going to get, um, you know, before taxes that you can put, you know, a good hundred million into the University of Colorado, fix up <laughs> the West side, put enough nil money aside to, you know, hire whatever and get whatever coach anybody would ever want in a, in a coaching staff that, uh, We'll recruit the hell out of it. So we're hoping for that type of miracle. But in the meantime, we still have a game to actually be played since even if we win the lottery, we won't have the money to the program before Friday. So 34-point line. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say you guys aren't going to predict the CU victory. So it's more a question of whether or not CU can beat the spread. So, Brad, I'll let you go first. 34 points, that's an awful lot of points. It may be a potential backdoor cover that USC goes up 35-3 at halftime and kind of coasts from there and see who gets a couple of consolation scores in the fourth quarter to squeeze inside the line, or is this just going to be a 56-3 to game and 
even the backups are going to dominate. No, I think it's, I think, I think we can score some points. I would be, uh, wouldn't be shocked if we scored as many as 28. You know, 34 is such an outrageous line that it can be covered by any number of silly things. But again, would anybody be shocked if this was a 56 14 game? You know, that kind of thing. It, it, it will defend just essentially on how much USC wants to score about whether or not they cover it. But I think it's going to be more like 48 20. Okay. So a cover for the Buffs, Neil. Again, you know, point out that they've got the rivalry game, UCLA, with a lot on the line coming up the following week. Is this something where Lincoln Riley's kind of thinking, let's get out to a fast start, put the starters on the bench, and let the, the subs come in and kind of run up the middle, and maybe CU gets close enough to stay within 34, or is this just going to be a, a blowout of epic proportions because the backups – are going to want to impress the coaches and maybe other teams they want to transfer to um, <laughs> so that they can get a chance to play. And they're just going to keep piling it on the buffs and it's just going to be a, another embarrassment for the University of Colorado. Well, I, I think they're going to pull their horns in, they being USC, as you suggest, uh, get out to a comfortable lead and not worry about the spread because the important games for SC are coming in the following week. So the margin of victory here is not going to matter very much. I'm going to go on a limb and say that CU's offense, which has shown some gradual improvement, and Shroud, who's gotten a little bit better every week, and despite the loss of our best receiver, we're going to score more. I can see him going 18, 21, 24 points probably against SC's defense, which I think will in the second half be manned by non-starters. CU's going to play probably a little more error-free, not have crucial penalties that wipe out big gains. So I'm going to try to show some faith in the Buffs offense. And probably some of that has to do with SC's defense. Now, I don't know how much SC is going to score. I think 48 that Brad mentioned is in the ballpark. It may be even more without really trying. But I think 45-20 is about where we're going to get and the buffs cover. But I think probably the over, which is, I think, 64. Oh, I think I'd take the over. Okay. Well, hope springs eternal that the Buffs will get past 20 points and hold USC under 50. That's probably what we're looking at is a, mm-hmm. a win, moral victory time for the University of Colorado football program. So thank you, gentlemen. We are going to have a couple of night games, USC followed by another night game against Washington before we close it out at home against Utah. Thank you, gentlemen. We will talk again next week. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Stu. Always a pleasure. Go Buffs. Quick question. What are you doing here? Seriously. If you're listening and you've gotten to this point, bless you. Based upon CU's performance this fall, you know I mean that sincerely. If you happen to be a first-time listener, we are here weekly, 
with our preview review podcast being posted on Tuesdays throughout the season, with my written tips being posted on Wednesday mornings at the See You at the Game website. I trust that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are proud to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See You at the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. If you don't happen to be a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See You at the Game website. I will be back next week with Neil and Brad as we review the USC game and preview the Buffs' trip to the Northwest to face the Washington Huskies. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.